Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're gonna we're gonna jump right in today because um, we're gonna talk about a weighty a weighty topic as far as we're concerned. Um, and really, we, when we say we're going into the breach, sometimes we're going a little further than others. Uh, today, we're going way into the breach, okay? And the author that we have on today, Raymond Ibrahim, um, he is way in the breach because we're here to discuss his new book, uh, Defenders of the West, The Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam. And I think everybody out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network knows that's not exactly a popular conversation out there, one that's going to get you invited to the cocktail party. But in our view, it's one that needs to be had, because that's one thing that we say all the time at the front line with Joe and Joe. Let's be honest about everything, all right? Let's actually talk about history. Let's let's be truthful. Let's seek the truth, okay? And have real dialogue, not just false dialogue. That's why we're having Raymond on here today. Um, so uh, for those of you who, who are not familiar with Raymond, he is an expert in Islamic history and doctrine, is the author of Sword and Scimitar, 14 Centuries of War Between Islam and the West, which came out in 2018. Crucified Again, Exposing Islam's New War on Christians in 2013. And the Al-Qaeda Reader in 2007. He's appeared on C-SPAN, Al Jazeera, CNN, NPR, and PBS. Been published in the New York Times Syndicate, Long uh, Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, Financial Times, Weekly Standard. Uh, Raymond's formerly an Arab linguist at the Library of Congress, and he has guest lectured at many universities, including the U.S. Army War College. He has briefed governmental agencies such as the U.S. Strategic Command and testified before Congress. He's been a visiting fellow scholar at a variety of institutes, from the Hoover Institute to the National Intelligence University, and is currently a Shulman Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center, a Judith Friedman Rosen Fellow at the Middle East Forum, and a Senior Fellow at the Gatestone Institute. I know that was a big mouthful. Raymond Ibrahim, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Well, thank you very much, Joe and Joe. Glad to have you here. Like I said, this is a, we, what Joe and I believe to, to one of those conversations out there that needs to be had. So with that, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello and we'll get going. Raymond, we always start with a prayer to Our Lady in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as Joe said, Raymond, this is going to be a great conversation. We're looking forward to it. Um, it's funny. Uh, I had an uncle who was from Egypt, um, my uncle Samir. He was a chemist. So I have some insight into the Islamic uh, faith as well as the world. But I'm very interested in, in your comments because obviously your background is vast. Um, how did the Islamic faith spread across the world for the most part? Uh, through the sword. 
through violence, through what they call jihad, uh, and which used to be translated as holy war, which is somewhat accurate, but it's far, it's far reaching, far more reaching than just that. It's not even just militarily. But um, yeah, historically, and, and what I'm telling you, as um, controversial as it may seem, or politically incorrect, is mostly derived from Islamic sources. So it's the Islamic histories written in Arabic, the very earliest ones in the seventh. Well, well, they were written after the seventh century, but that's when the Islamic conquests or the Arab conquests take place, um, and that's just how they depict it. It was through warfare and through jihad, and that was a good thing, of course. So in their writings, they're the good guys. They're not the bad guys, obviously. They're trying to enforce Allah's will and uh, spread Islam. And basically from Arabia, which is where Islam was born, what we call Saudi Arabia today, um, in, right around when the, the prophet of Islam, Muhammad, died, and the traditional date is 632, um, that's really when the jihad against the other, all, up until then, it was he was consolidating Arabia. And then after that was the first caliph, Abu Bakr, and then especially under Omar, um, the second caliph, and uh, all, all of the righteous caliphs and the Umayyads later, especially, um, it grew from Arabia to all of North Africa, from Egypt all the way to Morocco, to give it its modern name, and into Spain, and we can get into all that, of course, in Europe, and then the Middle East proper, which is uh, uh, modern-day Israel, Syria, Lebanon, and then later Anatolia. And um, a point to obviously elaborate on in a little bit, I'm just kind of giving you a quick summary, is all of those regions were fundamentally and inherently and much more Christian actually than what we call Europe today. And, and when you went even in the seventh century, if you went to the Christian world, most of it was in there, in that area. Um, you know, we had five C's. One, of course, is Rome, but the other four are now under Islamic domination with Alexandria, Constantinople, Istanbul now, Antioch, um, Jerusalem. So it was a big, you know, a, a big deal, though I find it funny most people, including Christians, have no clue that what we call the Middle East and the Islamic world was mostly built on Christian territory. That's funny. You're so right. Raymond Ibrahim joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Everybody like, well, not everybody, um, but a lot of the critics uh, especially left-wing critics, you know, especially of the Catholic Church. Oh, that's just a white European religion. No, actually, go and look at the history, all right? Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, last time I checked, mm -hmm. Hippo's in Africa, that, that these lands, now outside of the Jews for a second, but the, but the, the primary, call it, victim of, of, of Islam being spread by the sword are, are Christians, Catholics at that time, okay, because that was the Catholic world. And uh, yeah, all of North Africa was Catholic. The Middle East was Catholic. It, uh, Constantinople was Catholic. I mean, it's it just, um, I, you know, so, and that's where that's where Islam spread. We're going to get into it, but here's a question I'd like to ask you. Um, I'm big on, Raymond, I'm big on ingratitude, okay? And what I mean by that is this, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think all the atheists out there, all the Protestants, all the Jews, all right, all of those who bash and beat up on the Catholic Church, I think they owe the Catholic Church a debt of gratitude, and we're going to get into it a little bit because starting from the Battle of Tours, okay, uh, you mentioned that you know the, the 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 Muslim move into Spain and then obviously into what is now France, okay. But the some people call it Tours, some people call it Poitiers, all right, where the Muslims were beaten back, okay. There would be no Europe. I'm sorry to get a little animated. There would be no Europe, and yes, moving further along in history, it happened again and again and again. And it was not these other groups that I mentioned. I'm not trying to beat up on them, but it was the it was the Roman Catholic Church 
that defended not only the church, but Western civilization. Am I off in my analysis there? No, you're not. And, you know, the, the best way to actually validate what you're saying is my new book, which is a, the title is Defenders of the West, the Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam. And it begins from, from the very beginning all the way, uh, you know, many centuries into the long war. I'm not Catholic, okay, and um, but I tried to be objective, so I tried to get, you know, who were the most stalwart fighters and defenders and nations and kingdoms, and out of the eight, seven are Catholic, okay, out of the eight men that I ended up profiling, seven are Catholic, I mean, that's just the fact, mm -hmm. so obviously, yes, uh, when you talk about, um, you know, the, that, the long war with Islam, and there's so much to be said about it, and how it went on century after century after century, those who defend it were Catholic. Um, it's just that's just history, and I think, uh, and we can get into that. I think that's one of the reasons that um, you know defending against Islam and resisting it and fighting it has been demonized because it is Catholics, and Catholics need to be demonized. So whatever they did has to be put in a bad, uh, bad light. And the Crusades, of course, are the epitome of what I'm I'm, I'm discussing there. Yeah, if I, you know, again, it's one of those things where, you know, the worst crime in human history are the, you know, are the Crusades. And we, we can get into that a little bit. Raymond Ibrahim's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. His new book, please go out and buy it. Defenders of the West, the Christian heroes who stood against Islam. Uh, real quick, Raymond, before I hand it over to Joe, where can our audience members buy the book? Um, you can always get it at Amazon, which is probably the, the most expensive area. Uh, and other than that, what I would do if you just want to get it uh, is just type Defenders of the West and my name because something else might pop up, a different book, and just click on shopping and you'll get all sorts of online um, places that sell it. Uh, I don't know if there, I, I went into Barnes and Nobles and uh, the, the, I asked for, you know, it was a vanity check, but uh, the lady was like, oh, someone else just asked for it, but we don't carry it. I was like, okay. <laughs> so uh, get it online. <laughs> all right, get it online. We encourage our audience to do so. Joe Racinello. I want to define some terms. You mentioned jihad. Like, what is it specifically? You also mentioned that uh, the majority of the faith, the Islamic faith, was spread through the sword. I mean, as a Christian, um, Jesus, he basically proposed. He did not impose. That is a Christian belief. We propose something. But ultimately, love cannot be forced on someone. You can't force somebody to love you. You can't. Ultimately, and Christianity, and I'm not I, I, I'm not that versed in Islam, but I am versed in, in Christianity, particularly uh, the Catholic flavor. Um, it is a religion of love and love cannot be forced. I can't force my wife to love me. She loves me. I don't know why, but she does. <laughs> so, I mean, ultimately, uh, how do you possibly spread a religion through force? Because ultimately, my understanding of religion is love. And you can't force someone to love you. Yeah, well, a lot of it has to do with the very word religion and what everyone means by it. And, and I don't think what to Muslims, what the word religion isn't what I don't think Christians think by it. Um, but to get back to your original question, what does jihad mean, literally? And I think that's a very important question. It's an Arabic word, of course. And its root means to struggle. Okay, and what I find interesting is that the apologists for Islam stress that. They tell you, no, no, jihad doesn't mean holy war. It really means to strive, to struggle. And they're right, but it actually makes it worse um, because the connotation or the understanding of jihad in the Islamic historiographical tradition is always warfare. Okay, so the word jihad just means if anyone says jihad, or it's, or it's, it's various synonyms and cognates like uh, in the path of Allah, those all mean violent warfare 
to spread or, if needed, to defend um, Islamic territory. Uh, but what's interesting is, yes, the word, because it means to strive throughout the centuries, jihad came to mean, A, what I just said, mili militant conquest and expansion and defense as needed, militant physical striving. But it also meant to try to do the same thing, which is to spread the law of Allah, Sharia, to empower Islam any which way you can. Okay, so, for example, today, uh, if you look at the juridical writings about Islam and, and the word jihad, there's different classifications. So the first and primary is militant warfare, which is a historical manifestation. But under it, you have jihad of the tongue, and that means propaganda. That means deceiving. You have uh, jihad of money, uh, which means funding jihad through charity. You have jihad of, you know, what I, you know, the 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 womb jihad or baby jihad, which is a demographic jihad, which is basically let's have as many kids as we can because that makes us stronger, and that's certainly something you can see in Europe. So. The long and short of it is jihad does definitely mean, you know, militant conquest and the spread of Islam, but it does, as the apologists say, ironically, mean other things. It means to strive in general to empower Islam any which way you can. And I think that even makes it more dangerous. So let me uh, let me ask you a question, Raymond. Um, let me set this up a little bit. We, we mentioned you mentioned um, Islam from its founding uh, goes takes over the Middle East, uh, North Africa. Um, eventually, uh, in a hundred years, they make their way, as we mentioned, into Spain and, and what is now France. They're beaten back. Okay. They take over three or four at, the, by that time, three of the Catholic areas, the major, uh, metropolitan areas. Okay. Um, correct me, but three or four are, they obviously hadn't gotten to Rome. Yeah, but if get, you listen uh, Constantinople is in 1453. So that's much later. Right. So, so Antioch, uh, Alexandria, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. correct? Okay. So here's my question. If you listen to the critics, and as if you can't tell by now, Raymond, yeah, I, I'm not very fond of the, the, the atheist critics of, uh, of the Roman Catholic Church, because I believe they lie. I do. I think they, 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 or they tell half-truths. Um, the church didn't wake up one day and just say, let's go fight a crusade. No, and once all it. this happened for 400 <laughs> years, three to 400 years, the church watched all of this aggression, okay, and didn't do much about it. I'm not criticizing the church for that i'm saying they they kind of almost like backed off and almost let's see what happens type thing and then at some point enough is enough and the crusades happen talk about that yeah that's absolutely true um <clears throat> it's interesting because if you ever talk about uh islamic and, and um you know christian muslim conflict historically and you ask your average westerner you know what what, what do you know about it invariably, I'd say 99% of the time, they'll start with the Crusades, as if that's the origin. But as you indicate, that came literally almost four centuries after Islam had just, you know, been bombarding Christendom left and right. So, you know, I didn't really get into it, and I think I should just to give you a quick summary of what happened. So, as I mentioned, right, right around 636, the Battle of Yarmouk, massive battle, Islam spreads, takes Egypt, all of North Africa, huge chunk, Middle East. Then in 711 goes into Spain, conquers it. Okay, then it goes into Tours. Now, now it's 732. So literally one century from 632 to 732, after Muhammad's death, you had, if you look at a map, and other historians have actually said this, three quarters or more of the Christian world was swallowed up. Okay, and then 
then you got the Turkish manifestation, which came a few centuries later. They became even more ardent jihadists. Uh, historians will tell you this. Uh, they'll emphasize it, like Bernard Lewis and others. And you can see why. But they, they became very ardent jihadists. And then they, and they were waging war in Anatolia, Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today. And that, of course, is one of the most Christian regions um, uh, historically, this is where St. Paul wrote so many of his epistles to, to those churches. And again, you know, <laughs> you think of Turkey, oh, it's, a, it's always been a Muslim nation, according to a lot of people, the way they think. But right before the First Crusade, and this is really why it happened, during that Turkish assault on Asia Minor, which went all, uh, at, in 1071, there was a pivotal battle, the Battle of Manjikert. Um, I just I have a whole chapter about that in my other book, Sword and, of Scimitar, Sword and Scimitar, because it's very decisive. After that, really, the floodgates opened, and Asia Minor was, was slowly swallowed up by Islam. And by 1090-something, you know, they were very close to Constantinople. All they had is just a little strait of water between them. And during that time, according to the sources, now here's the part you won't hear, they were literally slaughtering or enslaving hundreds of thousands of Christians, mostly Armenians in Eastern Asia Minor. Uh, Turkey's to this Turks. day and, says that that didn't happen. Well, yeah, 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 even as it still does it today, of course, and we can get into that, because actually, according to a lot of NGOs, there's a new genocide against Christians in the same region by Turkey. At any rate, uh, so that's what, and, 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 and thousands of churches were actually torched, turned into mosques. So that's what prompted uh, Emperor Alexius to reach out to the Christians of the West, Pope Urban and so, uh, the Second and so forth. And that's really the origins of the Crusades and also what they were doing, of course, in Jerusalem at the Holy Sepulchre, the church, because pilgrims, Christians were coming from Europe. And they were being extorted, abused, raped, slaughtered. So that's, and when you read Pope Urban's um, writings or Alexius's writings, and I have a lot of them, again, um, in my former book, Sword and Scimitar, but also the, the new one, forever wants to look into it, you'll see that's really what was going on. So that's, uh, and yet you'll get people like, um, you know, John Esposito from Georgetown University and Karen Armstrong talk about how four centuries of peace passed, and then all of a sudden these evil, mean Catholics decided- Sorry, Raymond, I can't, I can't stand it. When I, when I hear stuff like that, I, I, my Italian vein in my head from New Jersey pops out of my, when I hear things like that, and, and you just said something so important, I, I'm sorry to, to jump in like this. These are professors. These are people who purport to be able to teach people things, okay? And yet they can't get that right. And, and, and I learned about this, and I was not a great student in school, but I learned about this when I was a teenager, okay, at Seton Hall Prep in New Jersey, okay? And, and you know, some reading on my own. It's like, and professors don't even get this, okay? I'm sorry, Raymond, but I, I, I cut you off. Well, no, I, and actually, to, you're absolutely right. Uh, so that's this is why the Crusades really happened. I mean, if you read it, the early writings of the Crusaders and, and the people who were involved, they were they were and were portrayed as great altruists and lovers of their fellow men, because these were kings and nobles and you know all dukes and so forth who gave away and sold so much that they owned, could have led a life of you know pleasure and peace, living in their kingdoms sold it all to raise armies, went into the lion's den, I mean, the, the horrific suffering that they went through just to get to the Middle East and the Holy Land, and then what they went through there, and it was all, you know, done for altruistic reasons, but they all, of course, it's all twisted now, and they tell you, no, this is an early colonial venture, and so forth, but not when you see what they went through and what they knew they would, would go through 
Um, and uh, so really, that, there's the Crusades, and there's so much more to say about that and what happened afterwards with the rise of the Ottoman Turks. And, and, you know, and now, so to continue the quick narrative of you know, Islam's war on Europe or assault, jihad, um, so after the Crusades, now you have the Turks who come up, and now they're just, like I said, they were more ardent jihadists than, than, than the Arabs and the Berbers, the Moors, the Persians, whatever, Tatars, because a lot of different groups, of course, were. Uh, the, uh, an important point to note, um, and I'll get back to the Ottomans, is that when you look at these secondary histories written by historians, what they do is, because we, we don't talk about religion, they'll give you their sort of national names. They'll say the Arabs and the Berbers and the, or the Moors in, in Spain, um, the Tatars, which were Mongols who became Islamic, you know, the, the Arabs, uh, the Turks, the Seljuks, the Ottomans. What they don't tell you is that all these groups assaulted the West on the same exact jihadist um, uh, principles and teachings that ISIS, the Islamic State, is doing uh, or is being motivated by, even though we're told, oh, yeah, ISIS doesn't know anything about Islam. Um, no, if you look at the sources, all those groups were, their rationale in attacking the West or Christendom, um, including Russia, people forget, you know, the Tatar yoke, this was an Islamic thing. Um, and it had all the hallmarks and the bearings and the signs of Islamic domination over Christians. Um, and again, in the writings that comes out, but you're not, not in the primary sources and the chronicles it doesn't come out, of course, in the hygienically cleaned up, you know, historical versions. Um, and anyway, so that, that's an aside, but the Ottomans enter and now you got the Balkans get swallowed up and the mass terrorization. And, and by the way, you know, you know, Americans are always, you know, hit on the head about slavery. Um, and, uh, of course, that is a historic sin and so forth. And once again, what we're not told about, though, is, you know, the, the, the slavery of Europeans and Christians under Islam, which, according to estimates, is between 10 and 15 million. OK, during this uh, during the, this and also earlier. I mean, this goes on. Remember, this jihad thing goes on for centuries. We went as far as Iceland. They went to Iceland again on the same jihadist ideologies and, 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 and ransacked it and came back with slaves. They went to Denmark, England. They had an island off of England, um, a jihadist base, just to raid and get Christians. This is in the 16th century, okay? So anyway, this goes on and until 1683, <laughs> so now we have over a, a millennium after, Mah after Muhammad's death, 1683, and now you have the largest Muslim army ever encircling Vienna. Uh, the siege of Vienna, something like two to three hundred thousand jihadists came. Okay, and that's its own big story, and it's in Sword and Scimitar's final chapter. Uh, whoever's interested, because that's a very dramatic story. Um, but even and then at that point, this is when Islam starts to wane and Europe starts to rise. But I find it ironic that even the United to show you how tenacious the sort of jihad was, even the United States' very first war as nation after its independence was against Muslims also acting on jihadist principles. And I'm speaking, of course, of the Barbary Wars, mm -hmm. when, uh, when uh, you know, Muslims from North Africa had ransacked, attacked American vessels and enslaved the sailors. And when Thomas Jefferson and John Adams met the ambassador, and he has it written down and I have it quoted, and they asked him, why are you doing this? We're friends of all mankind. We did nothing to you. He said, well, according to our holy book, the Quran, according to our prophet, you're the enemy. We must lay in wait for you, ambush you, enslave you, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely a nonstop long history, obviously with an ebb and flow and vicissitudes. And, but the problem is with these professors, to go back to that, is they always just try to find what the Christians did. So if you want to talk about old history, it's the Crusades. If you want to talk about the modern era, well, it's colonialism. 
So they'll tell you how Europe in the, you know, 18, starting in the 1800s and much later, late 1800s and early 1900s, went in and colonized these areas. And that supposedly Muslims are so upset and have grievances. And again, that is often presented in a vacuum. They don't tell you that. One of the reasons Europe did that was they were responding to a, over a millennium of aggression and they were trying to defang basically the snake. And again, this comes out in the sources when they don't tell you what Islam had been doing to Europe for over a millennium. So the problem with these academics is not just that they try to demonize Europe and Christendom and Catholicism, but they always leave out, you know, out of context, what Muslims had been doing, just like with the Crusades, they don't tell us. Um, and, and unfortunately, that's why so much, there's so much um, these people that you were mentioning, atheists and so forth, and that's why they, they talk and, 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 you know, speak the way they do, which is not to exonerate them, but it's, that is the dominant narrative uh, in academia. If you watch a documentary, if you watch a movie, of course, that's always how it is. The guy, if you watch a historical movie, I already know how to find out who the bad guy is. It's the guy with the big cross who's talking about religion. He's going to be the biggest hypocrite. He's going to be a pedophile. He's going to be the worst thing you can imagine. Uh, right. you know, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Kingdom of Heaven. For I was thinking. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. that too. Yeah. And and yeah. and and I'm a little skeptical. I think Ridley Scott is a great filmmaker. Okay, but but I watched that movie when it when when it first came out, and I was like, I I knew, like you said, going into it. No, no, no. The bad guys are going to have the big crosses on their you know on their chest, mm -hmm. and they're all going to come from Europe. They're going right. to be the bad guys. It's right. like, you know, it's it's just with with our culture, Western culture in general. Which I, I mean, Paul Johnson in his history of the 20th century, he commented one of his chapters. It always stuck in my head. I read it over 20 years ago. Was Europe's suicide attempt? In other words, and I always remember that. That's that's what I think that fits into this conversation because Europe, after having been defended for this millennia that you talk about, seems to have just yeah. capitulated. I mean, both on the cultural level and, yes, militarily to say that, you know, um, Europe is just a, a nightmare and it is it is self-inflicted. It's, it's 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 a suicide attempt because Europe is no semblance to what it did when it when, let's say, for itself, um, European Christians, Catholics defended Vienna. OK, or, or, or fought the Battle of Lepanto. Um, let's get a quick let's get a. A topic started real quick because we are coming up to the break and then we'll pick it up on the other side. If you're just joining us, Raven Ibrahim is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Please go out and buy his book, Defenders of the West, the Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam. Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. When we come back from the break, Raymond, I'll ask you to maybe uh, talk to our audience about who a couple of those defenders are. Joe. Raymond, what I don't understand, particularly we talked about Georgetown University, we talked about some critics of, of, Christianity with regard to pushing back against Islamic aggression, which is historically accurate, and you just went through it. What I don't understand is many of these people, and I'll be, you know, I'll be very polite. They lean left politically, uh, what we, we would call progressive, you know, in their view, their worldview. That worldview encompasses feminism. Uh, that worldview encompasses same-sex marriage, all of which is utterly and absolutely repudiated by a jihadist, repudiated to the point of violence. What I don't understand is why do they use language and or point to the bad guy as, say, the Catholic in Europe, whereby the very people they're defending cannot stand them? I don't understand that. At least 
as a Catholic, we may not agree with their lifestyle. We're sure as heck not going to kill them because of it. What's your view on that? Because it baffles my mind. I, I don't know what to say. I think that that's a really good question, and I don't want to give Raymond Ibrahim enough time to get into it. So let's take a quick break now, and then we'll we'll come back. If you are just joining us, Raymond Ibrahim is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Please go out. One of the things, Raymond, we try to tell our audience is that Joe and I learn as much as they do. In other words, Joe and I are not scholars. We have we like to say we have PhDs in common sense. When we have someone like you on the show, we learn as much. So when we say go out and buy the books because we're going to go out and buy your book, okay? Because we need to equip ourselves. It, call it whatever you want. Call it a spiritual battle. Call it a culture war. Uh, whatever, however you want to characterize it. If we don't have the knowledge of these things, uh, first and foremost, then we're toast. We're, we're, we're absolutely toast. Um, so we would encourage everyone, defenders of the West, the Christian heroes who stood against Islam. Now, when we come back, we're going to jump right back into that question. Joe asked Raymond, please don't go anywhere. Stick around. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We're way in the breach with Raymond Ibrahim. We're talking about his new book, Defenders of the West, The Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam. If you're just joining us, uh, we ended the last segment with a question that Joe had. I'll just paraphrase the question. Raymond, please explain to Joe and I and our audience, what is this, what we see as a really crazy relationship between the progressive left and radical Islam? So for the for the progressive left, you can't say that you can't say one like this conversation is verboten. You can't have it. Okay. Uh, what is this weird relationship that have? Please enlighten us. Yeah, succinctly put, it's the enemy of my enemies, my friend. Um, Islam is seen as a distant sort of thing. It doesn't really affect them personally. It's not really around them. Um, whereas Christianity and that long Christian heritage throughout Europe is what they, is what they really don't like and what they try to combat and fight and so forth and hate. And so they prop up anything they can to put against um, Christianity and uh, Christian civilization, in this case, Islam. So even though Islam, as you indicate, you know, hates them with a contempt and a disgust that is even more violent than you can imagine, because I know, because I eat or listen to them in Arabic and so forth, um, <clears throat> it's uh, to, to, to these leftist types, as you put it, um, they don't care because it's just another piece of their ammo against, um, you know, to make Christians look bad any which way they can. And again, and, and so that really underscores to me that a fact that I think any rational person should understand, which is that, you know, a lot of these leftist types, to them, things like humanitarianism only matters as if it helps their agenda. Okay, this is why, for example, in Nigeria, you got Christians being experiencing a genocide, and nobody talks about that, nobody cares. Or you have, you know, feminists in the Middle East being killed, and, uh, you know, their counterparts in the West don't care because they don't want to attack Islam because that's politically incorrect. But if a Christian or a Catholic or just a Western man does anything, immediately he's denounced, he's, you know, he's a horrific person and so forth. So it's just all bottom line to me is it's just they're trying any any ammo they can get 
to attack the thing that they really hate, which is Christianity and the heritage born thereof, um, they're just going to prop it up, even if that thing has such a viral disgust for them as Islam does. Let me, a uh, quick question along those lines, Raymond. Um, I don't know, just popped into my head. Um, American Christian, conserv generally Christian conservatives, uh, seem to be, um, and the Republican Party seems to be very pro-Israel. Does that also have something to do with it, do you think? With um, uh, The American right, right seems to be very pro-Israel. Right. So the, the, the let's say, for argument's sake, the, the Islamists, the jihadists, mm -hmm. would probably, let's say, for argument's sake, tend more against, maybe not for the progressive left, but against the Republican right because of, for, the, for many of them, a pro-Israel stance. Is there any truth to that, you think, or am I just completely off? Uh, I, I, uh, I'm not really following what you're saying. You're saying that Islamists hate your right-wing people because they support Israel? Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying it's just something that popped in my head. Could that be yeah. one of the reasons why they, well, might tend, they, they might tend to lean, let's say, towards the progressive left, at least in America? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I understand you. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely one of the reasons. Um, you know, in my earliest translations of Al-Qaeda in the Al-Qaeda reader in 2005, that's all I was reading about. Um, you know, we hate America, we hate Europeans because they're such allies with Israel. And I mean, and this thinking goes back to the Quran. I mean, the Quran actually says, "Do not befriend." It tells Muslims, "Do not befriend Christians and Jews." It actually names them because they're each other's friends, and whoever befriends them becomes one of them—an infidel, basically. Um, so yeah, that that kind of thinking is definitely deeply entrenched in Islam. Before we go on, um, just because I pulled it up, and it's a nice little validation of kind of what I've been talking about and a good way to cap off the historical section. And just to make sure, you know, no one thinks I'm exaggerating what I said about this long jihad, I'd like to read a quick quote, Please. which is actually, it's actually in my book, this is it, Defenders of the West, and it's in the conclusion, and it's by President Theodore Roosevelt, who himself was a very able historian. Um, this is what he wrote, quote, Christianity was saved in Europe solely because the peoples of Europe fought. If the peoples of Europe in the 7th and 8th centuries and on up to and including the 17th century had not possessed a military equality with and gradually a growing superiority over the Mohammedans who invaded Europe, Europe would at this moment be Mohammedan and the Christian religion would be exterminated. Wherever the Mohammedans have had complete sway, wherever the Christians have been uh, unable to resist them by the sword, Christianity has ultimately disappeared. And this is absolutely true. Uh, you know, we, uh, as you were, you mentioned Augustine of Hippo, for example, which I think is in Algeria or Tunisia. Um, Christianity is gone from North Africa, even though it used to be a bastion. I think one of the councils was held uh, in Carthage in the fifth century, yeah. where the Bible, I think, was uh, codified or something to that effect. So it just shows you, you know, how important that whole region is. And it's true. Where's Christianity now? There is a very small amount, but they were they're Muslims who, um, well, they're, they're descendants of Christians who became Muslim who are now becoming proselytized or evangelized and becoming Christians, but they're not indigenous, so to say, um, to the area it's been it's stamped out. So anyway, that, so there, there you go. There's, um, you know, President Theodore Roosevelt from right around 1900 telling us basically what I was saying and what is absolutely considered to be politically incorrect and not true now, today. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, what is what is historically true when you're being honest about history is nowadays politically incorrect. And you're labeled a hater. Um, and what you are promoting is hate speech. Right. Which we could we will have you back on that, Raymond. And, and we, we could go through the the orthodoxy of the of the American left and the European left, if you want. Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? I want to talk about some of these folks that you mentioned in your book. You mentioned eight. 
Um, who are they? Well, yeah, so my methodology in choosing who to write about was a long and complex thing um, because I've, I've, this is my background, studying history, especially the, you know, the long war between Islam and the West. Uh, you know, so for about 25 years this is what I've been doing. So I've taken notes and I've already had an idea, but I actually wanted it to be a lot longer because there were a lot of different men that I wanted to write about. But it ended up being eight um, and I chose them. And as I explained, one of the re there's other men that didn't make it because they were actually in my previous book, Sword and Scimitar, which is somewhat similar. And I didn't want to rehash them. So I, I just basically indicated if you want to, if you want more of that, check out Sword and Scimitar. But these men were in what I call the, you know, the, the, the heyday of Christian resistance to Islam. Um, and the, er, the first one begins really in the First Crusade, and it's um, Godfrey of Bouillon. Who or Duke Godfrey, who becomes the first um, king of Jerusalem. And I don't want to give too much as a spoiler because these are really exciting stories in and of themselves. Uh, but then, and then the last one is <laughs> Vlad the Impaler, who again, you know, and that's a very interesting story how he became Count Dracula. Um, and again, it has to actually do with a sort of, uh, you know, trying to diminish and, um, you know, suppress his actual Christian. Uh, motivations and tr try to demonize them. And this is not to say he would, the man was that innocent, but there's a long story there. That anyway, so we, we have about four centuries worth, and uh, I can give you all the some of the more popular names that people will remember are King Richard, Lionheart, um, the Cid, El Cid uh, of Spain, Saint Louis um, of France, Saint Ferdinand, his first cousin of Spain, um, John Hunyadi of Hungary. Um, and one of the more, the most, <laughs> one of the most impressive and probably the least known in the West, Skanderbeg, or George Castriotti from Albania, who has a very interesting, uh, you know, he's known as the Albanian Braveheart because uh, he, he uh, for 25 centuries, uh, for 25 years, he actually resisted the Turks and beat them almost in every single battle and siege, even though he was usually fighting outnumbered one to ten, um, and all of these men were always outnumbered. Um, so and I chose them again because I thought their stories were the most interesting and exciting, but also because I, in, in the way I worked it, it tells the long story of the conflict between Islam in, in all the main theaters of war. So you have two chapters on Spain, and then you have three chapters in the Holy Land, and then you have three chapters in the Balkans. Um, so uh, a lot can a lot can be said about these uh, guys, and it's just interesting to me because then as I as I discussed a little bit in the uh, conclusion of the book. Um, these, all of these men were known throughout history because of their heroic sacrifices uh, against violent Islamic jihad. And then, but today, they're either completely unknown or they've been demonized. And, you know, everything's been done to make them look bad because, after all, they were white, they're Christian, and they dared engage in violence against Muslims. Therefore, they're the embodiment of toxic masculinity, white patriarchy and Islamophobia, racism, everything you can imagine has now been leveled against them. Um, so for ex as, as one example, St. Louis, who I, who's featured in, I think, chapter four of the book, or five, um, he, you know, St. Louis, Missouri. So obviously in the, in the, as they call the summer of love in 2020, his iconic statue, very large statue in St. Louis, Missouri, was attacked by BLM and uh, by uh, uh, Muslim groups because St. Louis is a racist, St. Louis is an Islamophobe, and so forth. But when you look at his actual story, there's none who was a greater altruist than St. Louis. And everything he did was to actually help Christians and even help Muslims because he tried to proselytize them. He was, he was concerned about their souls going to hell. 
Um, so I thought, you know, I, to me, writing this book was also a way to sort of not just bring them out, but rehabilitate them from the way they've been totally degraded and demonized by including academics as well. Uh, and I get a little bit of into how the professors have gone out of their way to make these men look bad. So Richard, for example, who is just a complete monster when you read the primary sources and what he did to Islam, I mean, just the physical prowess of the man and you know his daring and so forth. Uh, to, since um, I think, I don't know, I, I have a year, but I don't know, some professor posited that he was a homosexual. So now, and everyone now is convinced uh, Richard Lionheart was a homosexual. Et cetera, et cetera, even though there's not a shred of evidence in this that I get into it and cite other more objective historians. At any rate, these, these are the men. Uh, so much can be said about them. The book's, I think, almost 400 pages. I had, there, there was no dearth of heroes. I, I originally, I wanted to write 10 or 12, but each one's story is so compelling and comprehensive and need to be, needed to be laid out in full that uh, these are the eight. Yeah, it's it's one thing, Raven Ibrahim, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. One of the things that Joe and I try to say all the time is, look, people will believe what they're fed by professors, okay, because they're because they're professors. That's why Joe and I try to do what we do. That's why buying your book and reading your book and other sources and other authors out there is important. So, I mean, Richard the Lionheart is as much a homosexual as Pope Pius the Twelfth was Hitler's pope, okay? But yet we just accept it. Mm-hmm. And we just and I don't understand it. Everybody's so afraid to fight back and and get out there and yeah, take the gloves off, figuratively speaking, and 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 have vigorous and 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 rigorous conversations on this and honest ones. Okay, honest conversations. Get tired of it. And I'm glad you're pointing it out, uh, Raymond Ibrahim. Let me ask you this. Let's bring it up a little bit to uh, to our modern world. Okay, let's if you don't mind, let's talk about Iran for a minute. Okay, now this is the way I see it. Okay, and and I'd like for you to maybe let our audience know exactly what's going on there. Prior to the revolution in 1978, Iran had become a secular state under the Shah. And that the response to that, that secularism of Iran was the, the revolution, okay, the Ayatollah coming to power. And it seems like you have these two extremes. You have you have uh, a caricature, I think, on one hand, where it's completely like Iran is completely debauched. All right. And on the other hand, it's completely uh, run by religious fanatics. What is the story with Iran? How could the United States and, and Europe and maybe even Israel, how can we best look at Iran with 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 honest eyes? What are your thoughts about that nation? Yeah, Iran is a very interesting and sort of unique nation when you look at the history of Islam, because it's uh, first of all, it was one of the like the Christian nations that I mentioned, um, Iran had its old, you know, long history, long heritage, long cultures, Rastrianism, and so forth when Islam came. And that's why, uh, you know, they kept their language, even though they, you know, it, it t- took on the Arabic script. But they're one of the rare nations that actually maintained their language and, and so, somewhat of their culture. And they also, you know, always wanted to be kind of out of the, uh, you know, kind of go against the grain of the main world. And that's why now they're Shias uh, and not Sunnis. Uh, that's a whole other topic, but you know, so they're they they're their own brand of Islam. But as you say, it was a very secularized nation. And then you have the revolution, seventy nine. But uh, there's no denying the fact that the fact that the Ayatollah Khomeini and the uh, you know the mullahs and so forth became uh, or achieved such prominence and domination of the nation was because of popular support, at least at the time. So there definitely was support for that sort of you know the, the Islamic law. 
and uh, Sharia and all that. Um, today, you fast forward today, and because again, I think Iranians, unlike other Muslim cultures, are, I don't want to use the word progressive because it's so loaded, but they're a little more um, whatever. I don't know. I don't want to say enlightened either, but there's something, right? <laughs> and so the people are obviously um, not very happy, and they're trying to, you know, get out of the uh, under the thumb. But this is not to say that you still obviously have large, and not, not just the ruling class, but even among the populace, you still have a lot of um, uh, Iranians who are supportive of it. And I think one of, the, one of the things that we forget is that for a lot of Muslims who may be on the fence or really are not what we would call radical, what really does push them towards Islam is they see what's going on in the West. And they think that if they become like the West, if they secularize, if they put Islam, religion out of the way, before you know it, they won't know the difference between men and women, and they're going to have transgenderism running amok. Uh, this is because this is what they see happening in the West. So, Well, that's kind of, Raymond, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's kind of where I was going. And I'm glad okay. you said it was that, okay, yes, I would I would say that a theocracy, if, if that's how you would characterize, let's mm -hmm. say, the regime in Iran, is not a desirable thing. I say that as a Roman Catholic. I know Joe agrees. I'm not into, I don't want theocracy. But you do have to, again, uh, this is about being honest. The people of Iran, like you said, they might say, well, I'd rather have that because yeah. how's it going out there for you in the West yeah. with sexual liberation, right. with all that? We don't want a secularized society. So we don't want a theocracy. But if we're going to have to err on the side of one, no, we don't want that because we see what it's done to Europe. We've seen what it's done to America. So I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, Raymond, but I'm glad you went there because that's kind of where I was going is I don't, think, I don't think secular democracy is anything to hold up on a pedestal and say, well, that's just great. And just do away with religion. Uh, well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, what's interesting about all this is 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 how it actually manifested historically. So I was talking about the colonial era. What's interesting about the colonial era is you know they, they try to portray it as if poor Muslims were oppressed and they wanted to you know make a comeback and so forth. But actually, if you look at the Islamic world, what they did is they tried to be as Western as possible. In other words, they tried to imitate um, the Europeans. And this is why if you look at pictures. Of the Middle East and the Islamic world, uh, you know, Egypt and Turkey and Lebanon, the men are all in suits, <laughs> ties, women are dressed like Western women, there's no hijab. And that's because to them with the Western way, okay, uh, was actually the successful way living tra traditional Western mores, which were obviously infused with the very with Christian elements, whether whether these people, whether the Westerner in question was openly Christian or not. But they weren't what we have today, this sort of crazy, you know, progressive stuff. And in as much as the West, uh, so <laughs> believe it or not, the comeback of Islamic radicalism, as we call it, to me, is actually a reaction to the West liberalizing. And this is from their own words. Um, one of the most famous men, for example, or, or ideologues of Islam uh, or of jihad, Sayyid Qut from Egypt, um, and he was the chief head of the Muslim Brotherhood, chief writer. Um, he, he, by all intents and purposes, he was a very secular type of Egyptian. Then he came to America and visited for a little bit, and uh, you know, he lived here for a while in Colorado, I believe. And then he went back to Egypt, and he became totally radical. And everything he wrote was how immoral Americans are, how we, uh, we as Muslims must go back to our faith. We, can, we should appropriate and learn their technology and their science, but we want nothing to do with their culture because it's just it's disgusting the way he described it. It's immoral, it's promiscuous, their women you know, don't know any bounds. You know, and so you can imagine that kind of mentality when they see the West today, when they see America today. 
Okay. And I mean, he was, he was, this is in the fifties that he was mm-hmm. saying this. So imagine 2020 where, like I said, we don't even know the difference between a man and a woman. You got transgender stuff everywhere being shoved on children to, to your average normal Muslim. They want nothing to do with that. And if it's, and if all they have is do that or be, or an Islamic theocracy, they'll go with an Islamic theocracy. So believe it or not, to so to an extent, what you're seeing, this radicalism is an, is an absolute reaction to what's happening in the West because, and I know that because historically there was the same reaction, but in the opposite way. When Westerners and Europeans and Christians were moral and ethical, Muslims actually jettisoned so much of their teachings and became like Westerners and Europeans. <laughs> and, but in all, and Islam was, was, was a backwards thing. No one even spoke about it. I, I, I saw a video of Nasser, um, President Nasser of Egypt, in I think 50s or 60s, and he's mocking and laughing in front of an audience about how the Muslim Brotherhood wants to bring the hijab back. And he's like, and he makes jokes, you know, like, oh, well, you tell women that. And the, and the you know, vast audience erupts in laughter. Now you go to Egypt, and that's uh, the women are all hijab. Um, so I think, yeah, so this is a very important and subtle point, the reaction uh, and how actually Western culture uh, corrupt and, um, you know, the, the current culture has really pushed Muslims back onto their own heritage. And I, I, I got to say, and, and part of my heart says, I, I don't blame them because I'm disgusted. We're all disgusted with what's happening to our culture. Um, you know, I, I to fall back, I, again, we don't, agree, we don't agree with Sharia law and things like that. But as far as some basic bounds, mm-hmm. some basic limits on our behavior, yeah, we could talk to Muslims about that because we have that in common. Uh, so Raymond Ibrahim's joining us here at the front line with Joe. Uh, Joe uh, please. Uh, uh, a real oh, quick ahead, point, uh, which I think you'll like, is it actually happened very recently here. If you recall, I think in Dearborn, which has a vast Muslim population, uh, they had a school Ooh, meeting, Lord. and they just went off on them, the Muslims. I mean, it was chaotic. And I've had way more than one American and Christian tell me, how come our, our people don't do that? Why do we yeah. passively sit by and take it? So, yeah. Yeah, those, those guys got, I remember watching that video. I said, those guys are getting up there. And they're getting in their butts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're not taking that. Are you crazy? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, that to me, it would be a good basis for some Catholic uh, or a Christian, you know, a more conservative Christian mindset and, and uh, Islamic dialogue, at least in America, at least as far as this culture war that we're obviously in. We could talk about evangelization, but in the meantime, we can have common ground because right now that you said it earlier, Raymond, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay, so these guys are fighting, at least in America, the same culture war we are. Uh, So, yeah, they're my friend. Um, So Raven Ibrahim's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, defenders of the West, the Christian heroes who stood against Islam. So we encourage you primarily and most easily accessible at Amazon. So we would ask you to go ahead and do that. Raymond, real quick before we run out of time, uh, because I want to give Joe at least one more question for you. Um, What social media, what's your social media? Where can our audience members follow you and find you? Yeah, probably the best place is my website, which is all one word, Raymond Ibrahim, uh, R-A-Y-M-O-N-D-I-B-R-A-H-I-M.com. And from there, uh, you know, there's a contact button and there's um, links to all my books. um, And there's also links to my social media, which I actually don't recall uh, the the handles. But if you click on those links, they'll take you. All right. Thank you for that, Raymond. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we're, I hope you don't mind. Joe and I are definitely going to follow you. Oh, Um, please. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we will. Uh, So with that, uh, we have a little bit more time. Joe, where do you want to go? Raymond, basically, can the modern West accommodate Islam? I mean, you could look in uh, Europe, particularly France. You could look at England, a lot of conflicts. You're starting to see them um, in the North, Denmark, uh, Sweden. There's some issues. 
can we accommodate them? I mean, we just saw the debacle in Afghanistan. That was an utter and absolute disaster. You've seen uh, Obama and now Biden trying to bring that deal back with Iran. Um, I'm not optimistic. Um, you probably know a lot more about it than I. Um, can we accommodate them? I mean, it seems to me that it's uh, oil and water. It's just not working. What are your thoughts? Can it happen? Of course we can accommodate them, and, and we have been accommodating them by simply acquiescing and giving in to anything and everything they want. Um, so in Europe, uh, for example, you mentioned Sweden. So during Christmas, there's some holiday uh, St. Lucia Day or something like I, I believe, and it's, it's associated with Christmas, and the children dress up and they sing carols and whatnot. But of course, in some schools, because parents pulled their Muslim children out, they've canceled the um, holiday. Um, and oftentimes you see, you know, the nativity scene has been removed because it might offend the Muslim. Um, so, well, 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 the West is in varying, deg varying degrees accommodating, beginning with taking in over or millions of Muslims into Europe. Uh, but your point, obviously, is that can we accommodate them without actually watering down our own, um, you know, existence and mores and ethics? And that, uh, yeah, that I would agree is water and oil. Um, the teachings, as uh, as Joe mentioned earlier, you know, the teachings of Christ himself, which whether you're a Christian or not, I believe have so imbued and permeated Western society that you take them on. I mean, the whole idea of humanitarianism, all these left people, leftist people who talk about hum humanitarianism, don't, they don't realize that came from the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, they didn't just pop out in a vacuum. Um, but when you simply have black and white teachings in Islam, like the apostate must be killed, or, you know, churches uh, cannot be fixed and repaired and should be destroyed, turned into mosques, or all these, you know, sorts of draconian things that your average Westerner would obviously cringe at. And then you have, the, you know, the teachings of Christianity, which, like I said, whether you're a Christian or not, are just part of Western thinking, or they were until this postmodern era, um, you know, of freedom of thought, freedom of conscience. Yeah, you're, you're definitely going to have a clash. Um, and that's why historically, when we look at it, there, they knew that, you know, these defenders, these people that I mentioned, that's why they fought and resisted Islam tooth and nail. Um, today, and to go back to an, an earlier theme, a lot of these leftists like Muslims coming in because they hate the same thing. So I'll give you a prime example. In Europe, you have all these wonderful, beautiful, ancient churches that nobody goes to, and they're either being attacked and assaulted by Muslim migrants and the left doesn't care, or being sold and given away to become mosques. So that's a win-win for both groups, leftists who hate that sort of heritage and Muslims who are also inclined to at least dominate it. Um, so yeah, uh, we, we are accommodating them, but if you want to do it, if, if, if the West wants to maintain itself, it actually, it is, it is oil and water. It doesn't mix two antithetical teachings, two different cultures, and one has to give in. Raymond Ibrahim, one final question. We only have a couple minutes. Obviously, Christians are being persecuted throughout the world. Another thing that goes underreported, as you said earlier, you mentioned like Nigeria. Uh, you, you could look at Boko Haram and what they've done. Okay, nobody nobody seems to care, or at least the secular West. They don't seem to care when uh, Christians are slaughtered. Are there any in the Muslim world who who are being vocal about about the violent actions, particularly towards Christians? Um, in the world are there any groups out there that, that let's say are worth mentioning that might be bringing light to this and why if not yeah um well okay so this is a really complex question but in the, in the islamic world uh, yeah you have your secular muslims who are sympathetic 
But even they are to a certain degree because they're still loyal to their identity and they don't want to disparage Islam too much, not least because it's also dangerous. Um, so in the Islamic world, not really. Not, not, and if they do, it's also, for example, in Egypt, if a Christian's attacked, uh, you know, some secularists will talk about how an Egyptian was attacked and that's wrong. And they'll downplay uh, religion. Okay. Um, in America, you know, the, the so-called moderates and reformers, I don't hear a lot from them about that particular topic, even though they criticize Islam and, you know, jihad. And, and if you ask them, they probably would say, yeah, that's a bad thing. Um, but th even to me, the Western reformers who there's so much clout around them have zero impact on the Islamic world. And it, it always amazes me. Most people don't get that. You know, if you have an American Muslim and he's talking just like an American and, you know, he's talking, he's going to reform this and that, that's great. But he's probably impacting, you know, 0.00001% of the Islamic population, if that, um, mm -hmm. and seen as a traitor. So, yeah, that, uh, but ultimately why they wouldn't is either they themselves are radicals or they don't want to get on the wrong side of, of the radicals. No, got it. Thank, thank you for that, Raymond. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the progressive left in America, you know, they don't want to say anything about actual violence, actual murder, actual persecution, but they'll throw you in jail for misgendering somebody. Huh? You know, th th that's where we're at with those wackos. And yeah, everybody out there at the front line with Joe and Joe listening to us, the left in America has gone insane. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, we're, you know, we're here to talk about. That's why Joe and I exist, to point out their insanity and let other people know about it also. Raymond Ibrahim, uh, we thank you so much for, for coming on the show. This has been very enlightening, not just for our audience, but for Joe and I. So we really appreciate it. Uh, your book, Defenders of the West, the Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam, we encourage all of our audience members to please go out there and buy it. You are welcome, Raymond, on this show anytime, brother. Well, thank you very much, uh, gentlemen, Joe and Joe. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'll be happy to come. Oh, there's so much more that can be said. So, yeah, we, we, we might want to talk again, including about the Christian persecution that's going on that is about 300 million people, and we don't hear a word about it. We're going to have you back. We're going to have you back for that. Okay. Absolutely. We'll reach out to you. Thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Remember to download the app, the Veritas app, and share it with your friends. If you like what Joe and I do, Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube, the Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube, and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Follow us, like, subscribe, share. Help us out. Do whatever you can. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.